Welcome to the Disciples Today podcast. My name is Justin Renton coming to you from Johannesburg, South Africa. I'm joined by Scott Kirkpatrick, leader of the church in Columbia, South Carolina, and Michael Burns, a teacher in the Minneapolis church. Welcome, guys. Good to be here. Good to be here. Thank you so much for your time. I know you guys have had a very busy couple of weeks. Both of you guys have served on the ICOC Diversity Committee, which has now been renamed the Squad. Can you tell us a little bit about this group and the work you guys have done and uh, even the name change? Yes. Um, you know, the group began with um, just a few members after 2012. We had a, a meeting in San Antonio and uh, there was a, a breakfast where we talked about situations that face uh, the international traditions of Christ, especially from an American point of view. And we talked about that and, uh, you know, talked about race relations and things that we thought we could improve on. And that after that, we, we formed a, a, a team of about three or four brothers, uh, great men of God, spiritual men. And then we realized that we needed to expand that team. And so uh, we expanded the team about four years ago um, and uh, we brought on about 10 other members of highly skilled, um, you know, highly spiritual uh, people in, in the area of diversity and, and race relations and unity in, in general. And so over the last four, four or five years, we've really been focusing on how do we help the ICOC in its leadership and, uh, and of course, in America deal with, you know, um, race, and culture and unity and diversity and inclusion and uh, really to equip leaders so that they can lead their people, but also be available for the people. Uh, last year, we decided to change the name to the Social, Cultural, Unity and Diversity Team, which we call SQUAD. And we changed that because, you know, we thought, you know, that's what we want. Do. We want to be uh, a team that not only focuses on, you know, uh, race, but also culture and how important culture is in the in the scheme of things, and and, and really bring about unity and you know inclusivity. So uh, we decided to change the name to Squad, uh, and and our hope is that we can help uh, each church around the world have a Squad. Uh, as a part of the congregation to deal with these very sensitive Well, thank you guys so much for the work you do. I know both of you guys have been to Johannesburg, South Africa, and taught our staff and taught our, taught our churches on these topics, and it's been incredibly helpful. So um, how do you guys see, you know, the work that the squad can do, you know, to be applicable, you know, outside of North America, you know, in India or in you know, different parts of Africa where tribalism is a big challenge. How do you see your work being helpful in that part of the world? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, uh, Justin. This is Michael speaking. And, um, you know, well, right now the, the focus of this quad group has been on uh, North America and even specifically the United States of America. Um, I, the, the, the principles uh, are the same because ultimately when we deal with issues of uh, cultural diversity or racism, um, racism is a, a, you use the word, it's a, it's a form of tribalism. 
And, um, you know, as human beings, if you, if you look through the history of the world, we will find a way to separate. It, it, it can be over nationalism. It can be over ethnicity, uh, regionalism, tribal skin color, you know, race, you name it. Um, it's all that same tendency, sin, to turn our differences into division. And so even when we're not directly um, addressing world issues, you know, a lot of the times when I've written books on uh, culture and race or whatever, I will say, I'm going to, you know, I'm writing from an American perspective because that's what I know best. But the principles here will apply anywhere because it's a universal sin issue. And so I think that's what we hope to provide is is a, a, a platform and a paradigm, a template, so that as we address these issues, here are the principles that we're using that can be applied in any of the situations globally. Yes, and to, to follow that up, I uh, appreciate that, Mike. Great, great uh, answer there. And, you know, I don't know if you remember, but we had a conference in uh, Panama last year, maybe a few years ago, and uh, we had a diversity class, you know, a class. Uh, dealing with diversity, but it wasn't just, uh, you know, Americans. Uh, we actually brought in brothers from Europe and dealing with the Ukraine and Russia situation. And we actually had brothers from Africa to speak as well, talking about tribalism. And so, like Mike said, it, it's a it's a human condition, and not just, uh, you know, focus on a country. It, it's a human condition. Absolutely. Now, the Bible describes itself as living and active. How have you guys found that it is living and active, you know, dealing with culture, race, and unity topics? Yes, uh, that's a great question, and I think that's probably the most important question that can be asked. You know, like, how do we, uh, especially people who are disciples of Jesus, how do we make sure that the kingdom of God is, the main focus in the end. And I, I, I think uh, the, 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 the answer is, um, you know, it's good to hear people's story. Uh, it's good to hear, um, you know, what happens uh, in our societies and the injustices, the racism, the prejudice. It's good to hear those things and consider those things, but you can't leave it there. Right, you have to bring it to now. How does this apply? How, how does Jesus in the Bible apply to this situation? And so, uh, in order to make a connection, so I think about the scripture that talks about, uh, and this is just a principle. I would think about the scripture that talks about if a man is hungry, you feed him. You know, before bringing him some spiritual food, bring him some some real food, and then you can. You know, bring him the spiritual food. And so, and of course, I'm paraphrasing that and using that in my own uh, words. But I think the same thing happens uh, with situations like that. You make a, a connection with a person, but then you have to bring Jesus and God and the Bible into the situation so that, uh, that you know, that Jesus is really the only answer to, to bringing about true change of people's hearts and minds. And ultimately, he will be the one that bring down the wall of hostility and the things that separate us. Uh, so I think it it has to end with God. Yeah, 
that's that's a great platform i think that scott just created there to sort of jump off of and and allow me to to do just that uh because i think scott is right that's where it starts and i think the exciting thing is is we are not left without a biblical witness in this in these areas of uh you know culture ethnicity uh, diversity um it's all over the new testament by by my count uh, uh, I would uh, out that uh, about 30% of what Paul writes in his letters um, is directly related to training the church how to come together in unity, overcoming the uh, social class distinctions, the ethnic distinctions, the uh, racial and cultural distinctions of the day, uh, the nationalism, all of those things, how to overcome those in Christ and come together as one body. It was it was not easy. In, in 1 Corinthians 9, uh, 24 through 27, he, in, in, to paraphrase, he says, this is going to be really hard. It's going to be like training for uh, an athlete. It's not going to be easy to do. And so entire books of the New Testament, uh, Romans is written because of uh, you know cultural and ethnic conflict going on in the church in Rome. Uh, you have the book of Galatians that's written because there's ethnic and cultural conflict and and Paul guides them through that. In 1 Corinthians, one of the big divisions was the social class uh, and the economic division. And so he's guiding them through that. And so, you know, sometimes we'll have an instinct to say, can't we just not talk about these things that are going on in the world and just focus on Jesus, focus on his kingdom and the cross? And I think the message that comes from the New Testament is we're going to have to focus on these things to implement the, the truth of the cross. Because we're all on even ground at the foot of the cross, but we're, we don't all come into the church on even ground because of the sin of society. And so we've got a lot of work to do. Um, and that's where the Bible is so incredible and so, as you said, living and active because they were facing the same kind of challenges and situations that we were in the, in the first century church. And so we can take a lot of that and apply it almost directly to our situation. That's great. That's helpful. Now, millions of people around the world uh, witnessed the killing of George Floyd on television. And, you know, it's grabbed worldwide attention and ignited a movement to, you know, rectify injustice, institutionalize racism, and police brutality. Why do you think this situation seems to have gotten more attention than others that have happened in the past? Yeah, that's a that's a great question, Justin, and I I think I would sum it up with the two words: uh, perfect storm. And there's there's a lot of different um, streams I think that that fed into the situation uh, and the response. And I think if you take any one of them out, you probably don't get the phenomenon around our country and then even the the, the world that you've seen. And uh, real quickly, one of them was the immediacy of the video. Some of these events, you know, you, they're not released for weeks or months or they don't, you know, they eventually leak out and that, that saps some of the emotion or power from them. But this one was up like within a day and people all over, you know, and, and the George Floyd situation for those who aren't aware um, happened in, in my city. 
just a few miles away. And so, you know, our whole city saw this within a few hours. Um, I think the second stream is that it was so clear cut. You know, there's just no ambiguity to what you're seeing on the video. It's hard for anybody to look and say, well, maybe there's another way to interpret that. I think a, a third stream is that it was just three weeks after, you know, three or so weeks after the Ahmad Arbery situation. And so people were kind of heightened and on edge from that. Uh, I think additionally, you have, you know, the the movement, uh, kind of the Me Too movement. And I think uh, that sort of fed into like, hey, we're not going to take this anymore. There, you know, it's time for a change. And then I think you have the... Um, the global pandemic that is the coronavirus and you have people quarantined. And so they're, they're sitting on their couches with not much else to do. A lot of people then watch the news or, you know, get on social media and, and spread this sort of thing. Um, and then I think uh, another result of the coronavirus is that, you know, I think a lot of people have just felt helpless. Um, you're sitting at home, you can't do anything. You can't, you know, you can't even see this virus. You can't change what it is. We're grieving because we're losing, you know, jobs and, and school years and, um, you know, huge conferences, you know, like the, the vision conference that we were all looking forward to. And so there's a sense of um, helplessness. And when something like this happens, people were like, I can take control of this. We can do something. Um, and so I think you add all that up with the fact that just th there are kind of patterns in history that we've seen in the United States um, where there is, you know, a bad situation. And then you have a, a sort of freedom that comes in, like, say, from the Civil War. And then there's a pretty good period after that, or at least a growth period where racial relations grow, things get better. And then there's a backlash. And the backlash is usually pretty uh, violent and, and, you know, pretty fierce. And then uh, a civil rights movement comes out of that backlash. And then you follow that pattern. And so I think we've been in the United States in that backlash time. And you could, you could just see it coming. If you're a student of history, you're like, the, the, the response to the backlash is coming. And it's been bigger and uh, more intense than I would have thought. But um, I think that's the result of all these different streams coming together in a way, Justin, that we probably will never see again in our lifetime. And so I think it's pretty vital to take advantage of the situation. And I appreciate venues like this where, hey, let's talk about this and learn the lessons and grow because I don't think we're going to see these all these factors coming together again in our lifetime. Yeah, well said, Mike. I think that was fantastic. Uh, I'll add just a couple other things really briefly. You know, uh, I've heard uh, the death and murder of George Floyd been likened to a public lynching. And, and where you watch the guy go from life to death right before your very eyes while people are yelling, you are killing him. Mm. He is dying. He cannot breathe while this man is calling for his mother and, and telling and, the, and the, the police is sitting there, kneeling there with his, you know, his knee on this man's neck with his hands in his pocket. Mm. Like that's what people saw and that horrified people. 
you know, and so that image, uh, like, you know, Dr. Martin Luther King back in the 60s and 50s and 60s civil rights movement was brilliant because he brought the civil rights to the world by making it televised, right? He, he made sure that he did things that would be televised. And, you know, when you get the world to see, you know, horrific things, that just that pressure alone causes change. The other thing is just, you know, like Michael said, just media, media and technology, like uh, to have that filmed for nine minutes, you know, um, you know, how can you deny something like that? Had it not been for a video being recorded, I doubt we'd be in this situation today. So, mm. uh, and then lastly, I think is the next, the younger generations are like, you know, it's got to be changed, and I'm going to demand change right now. I'm going to get out. I'm going to protest. And it's amazing to see and, and some of these protests more white people than even people of color. And so, it's, it's, you know, this is incredible to witness what is happening uh, at this time. So, yeah. Now, what can white disciples do to support and comfort our black family that are hurting? I know that's a question I've asked myself, and... Other, other disciples have asked me, I mean, how, how do we help? How do we lend our voice of, of empathy and support right now? Yeah, you know, I think um, I think of five quick points. One is I call it proximity. Uh, of course, you know, we love to be physically close to each other right now, but we can't, right, close to coronavirus. But if we could, proximity, you know, I'm talking about physical proximity, would be extremely important. Just to be around someone that is hurting and and being able to hug them or touch them or just, you know, something like that. They can feel your touch. They can feel your love. So, uh, but I think proximity also comes out in other ways like emotional proximity. If someone is hurting, probably get in that same space with them, right? If someone is in a dark hole, climb down into the hole and say, I'm here with you. I was just saying, hey, I see you over there. I hope you feel better. But actually, emotionally into the hole. Uh, spiritually, I think, which is the most important part is, you know, pray with people. You know, pray with them. Pray for them. Uh, pray that you will have deeper love for, for them. Um, I think, um, um, secondly, is compassion. I think about, you know, Jesus said, uh, when he looked at the crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. But I think the sense of compassion, meaning that I feel what you feel. I see you. I hear you. Um, I, you know, I feel what you feel. Uh, and I want to feel that. You know, I have the desire to, to go where you are. So, and then, of course, um, being able to ask, you know, please tell me your story. Tell me your story. Tell me, you know, what, uh, you know, uh, tell me your life. What, what, what moves you? How did you grow up? Uh, what have you encountered in your life? What, what have you endured? And listening with an ear of learning, a learning ear, but also an ear of connection, right? Not defensiveness, but connection. And then lastly, to speak and to act and to advocate. Uh, so uh, those are the kind of the points I think that that are re- really important. And so 
proximity, which is empathy, compassion, uh, you know, asking uh, people to tell you their story and then it's time to act. So whether that means, you know, to write to uh, people that are in power, whether it's congressman, mayor, you know, um, uh, to, to speak up. Uh, if you are, you know, the ma- minority, uh, hopefully you have people who are uh, either the dominant race or people of, of power. Um, white people uh, in this particular situation have white people to speak up, uh, have them to advocate on your behalf and to walk with you and stand with you. Those are the things that I would say. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. I, I think you can tell. Um, that Scott and I work together on the diversity team and have, have worked together a lot on these issues because I think uh, my, my answers uh, in, in a lot of ways would mirror his. But let me um, just let me add a couple things here and, and, and maybe a little bit of a challenge um, because I think, and I'm going to, you know, contextualize this uh, specifically to the dynamics in the United States States, but they they very well may apply other places. Um, but I think um, on average, and there are always exceptions. Uh, but I think uh, on the whole, a lot of white folks in the United States have been trained and conditioned to think that our voice and our opinion um, is uh, kind of always right, and it's important, and it needs to be heard. And without realizing it, we have this entitlement to think that if we hear anything different than what we believe, um, we're not going to hold our tongue. I'm going to I'm going to tell you uh, where you're wrong, and you know work work that in. And um, it, it takes some work to get to humility to maybe realize that we don't have all the perspective. That maybe there's things that we totally don't understand or don't miss or have missed. And, and need to just sit with someone and, like Scott said, ask questions and learn and, and you know, be quiet and understand someone else's pain. And I think there, there is a cultural difference here, too, that's, that's at play in, in a lot of respects. Um, I know for um, my wife, who's African-American, um, her cultural background is when something happens to someone in her group, you know, uh, black folks, black Americans, whatever. She's been raised in a very kind of collectivist communal culture um, and that approach to life so that if something happens, that's, that's part of her family. That is, you know, for her, George Floyd was her brother, her uncle, her nephew, her son. Um, and when he cried out for his mama as a mother, she heard that call and she took it personal. And, and that's just a cultural, uh, you know, facet. And so she grieves and mourns in a way that coming from my cultural background, um, I don't identify with that. You know, we're much more individualistic. And so if something happens to someone I don't know, well, that's tragic. I don't feel it in the same way. So I, I think it's important for me to understand that and and listen when someone grieves. You know, it doesn't. Uh, it's not always a, uh, super helpful to walk up, you know, to somebody who is at a funeral for their spouse or, or child who's just died and say, you know, let me help you look at this logically. That's not the time to do that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so to do the things that, that Scott mentioned there and, you know, act and advocate then um, once we've listened, I think are, are very helpful. Great answer. Now on the flip side, you know, what are the unhelpful responses that white disciples can have to these events and, and why? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. You know, the, the Bible talks about zeal without knowledge. And, you know, I think responses that are rooted in a lack of full grasp of the situation or understanding or education on the issue um, can be really damaging and hurtful. And virtually, if I'm being honest, virtually all of the critical or negative responses, and I will say that I think the majority have been empathetic and, you know, I think are good and attempt be helpful. But the, the critical and negative ones I've seen um, are almost exclusively woefully unaware of the depth of discrimination and and hurt and rooted in defensiveness and things like that. But I'll, I'll sum it up with this to kind of summarize, I think, unhelpful responses. I think when something uh, painful or negative like this happens in our life, uh, we have those experiences. And then we need to interpret those experiences and respond to them. So there's three elements, right? We have experience, interpretation, and response. And, and you, you see this a lot in the Psalms, as David, for instance, will describe, and I've had this terrible experience. And sometimes he'll, you know, give an incorrect interpretation. He'll be like, God, it's it's your fault. You're doing this because you've hit your face and you you know despise me or whatever. And but then he'll go on and he'll uh, choose a response. And sometimes in that response, he will then go back and reinterpret his original interpretation. But I think we do damage when we try to skip the steps or we jump in to help too early. And so somebody shares an experience. And we'll argue with their experience and say, no, that's not what you went through. You're just, you're playing the race card or you're, you know, this or that. You didn't really experience that. Um, and there's actually a technical term for that called gaslighting. When you, when you tell somebody they're not going through what they have gone through. And then the second stage of that is, well, now I have to interpret my experience. And so someone might say, man, I've had this painful experience and it's because of the color of my skin. And I don't think it's helpful for us to jump in at that point either and go, oh, brother, you're, you're misinterpreting that. You're, you're making everything about race. You're da-da-da-da-da. You know, even if we don't think it's right, I think that's the time to hold our tongue and empathize with somebody. And, and then where we can maybe help mm-hmm. someone lovingly is in their response. Okay, you've had this experience. You've had this interpretation. Now, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to be godly? Okay, you think this person is your enemy. Well, what does the Bible call us to do with our enemies? You know, and so when, when, we're, when we bring those experiences and interpretations to Jesus, to the cross, it, it, we don't have to worry so much about the initial experience and interpretation. That may go back and reinterpret some of those things, but ultimately that it becomes unimportant. So I think those unhelpful responses are when we try to redirect somebody's experience or their interpretation. Yeah, that's great, Mike. Uh, thank you for, for sharing that. You know, I think a couple other things 
as well. Like uh, I think uh, some very hurtful uh, responses, like uh, to minimize uh, someone's experience. You know, uh, it's, you know, just because it may not hit you the same way, uh, that mean uh, you should, uh, you know, minimize what they are feeling or going through, because uh, you don't, you don't understand, you know, their background or, or what they've uh, experienced. And so, minimizing, I think the next thing is uh, comparing. Like, um, you know, when you when someone shares something or they're open with something, open about something that that, that hurts them. Um, to to then move to, you know, how you feel or what happened to you, uh, takes the focus off of them, and that's hurtful uh, to many people. Generalizing and, and you know, and, and not being specific, like for instance, uh, yeah, you know, God, and, and there's so many injustices around the world, as opposed to you no, know, this one specific situation that happened with George Floyd. Um, so generalizing, generalizing, uh, generalizing, you know, please set that out. Um, you know, uh, I think, uh, also hurt people, uh, because it doesn't, it didn't come across as that important to you. Uh, another thing is silence. Not saying anything says a lot of things. Uh, and, and you leave it to, you know, for people to interpret that you really don't care. Uh, or that you care, um, you know, but not enough, or that you you uh, completely disagree with them, and so you say nothing because you don't want to say the wrong thing. Uh, and then lastly, I say body language. Uh, people look for body language, even if you don't say words. People want to see how you're gonna, you know, what 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 would your body language say? Are you is your body language interesting, right? Do you, are you interested in them and how they feel, or are you uninterested? So people watch those things as well. So I just wanted to add those two thoughts. Those are great. Now, it, it can be hard to have conversations around topics like these. I know from White's perspective, there's guilt, there's fragility, you know, there's fear of saying insensitive things that will only make things worse. So how can we educate ourselves and, and how can particularly white disciples grow in their empathy and understanding and sensitivity to uh, people of color? Brother, that's a fantastic question. And um, um, it's an important question. Um, I think the first thing is, is uh, to, to, um, to use the Bible, right? To, like Michael said, you know, race relations or, uh, or injustice or, you know, um, um, human relations, uh, it's all through scripture, uh, from, from the old Testament into the new Testament, uh, it has to do with relationships. And so I think do word study on like justice. What does God's word say on justice? What does God, God's word say about oppression? Uh, what does God's word say about, you know, unity or being unjust? And so doing word studies from scripture, uh, hearing what God has to say about these things, I think is, is one of the most important things we can do in terms of learning. Uh, second thing I say is to um, ask for people to tell you their story and to listen 
uh, and not to react negatively to the person, but to listen with ears that you want to learn. And, uh, and then initiate conversation. Initiate conversation. Don't wait for people to come to you. If something happens, uh, you know, in society or in the news or in our communities, don't wait for, you know, uh, people of color to come to you or for leaders to say anything. You know, identify your brothers. Give them a call. Uh, sisters, give them a call. Or, you know, uh, get some time with them, but to initiate conversation. I say also to read books. Uh, but I, I would suggest, unless, you know, you have, unless people are really seasoned in, um, you know, in race relations and unity and diversity from an educational point of view, if they're seasoned in name and then read other books. But if people are not seasoned in, in those situations, I would say read Michael's book, uh, Michael Barnes' book, read Richard Rodriguez's book. Uh, those are books that I recommend everywhere I go because they have the kingdom perspective and they're coming from a situation that you know you can trust, right? You can trust it. But I have to do extra research to make sure what they're saying, you know, is, is like legit. And so I recommend those, those, those guys' books and also uh, the squad uh, resources. Uh, we are developing a web page. And, uh, and we already have resources now, uh, but we're developing a website uh, that people can go and, and of course, listen to uh, um, sermons, um, you know, uh, look at uh, uh, our articles and those type of things. So that's what I would suggest in terms of helping people to educate themselves on these situations. He, he, he took my answer in other ways. I, he, he said every, just about <laughs> everything I would say. Um, I, I can add a little nuance uh, of my own and simply say, in being with, I think it starts with, you know, listening with others, sitting down at the table, intertwining your life with people, not just seeing them at church, not just, oh, we've known each other for 20 years, but when your life is really intertwined with uh, people who are not like you culturally, who don't look like you on the surface, who don't live in the same types of neighborhoods you live in, um, you just learn so much and it's hard to remain um, unaware and it's hard to, uh, you know, not grow in your uh, empathy and understanding and those sorts of things. Um, and then I totally agree with Scott, you know, it starts with the Bible and seeing the, trying to see the world the way Jesus saw it. You know, Jesus stood with the oppressed, study out the scriptures, see how Jesus really, um, operated. He was he was with the outcasts, the marginalized. He wasn't with the the impressive and the powerful. And and then again I would I would echo what Scott said about, you know, educating yourself, reading. Um, you know, I, I think uh and and I agree with Scott here as well. I think there's some history books that are helpful to read. I think that's important. Um, you know, from a strictly American perspective, there's books like the, the problem of slavery in Christian America. Um, there's myths America lives by. Um, there's, uh, you know, stamped from the beginning. There's uh, a, a, a South African book like Long Walk to Freedom. 
Um, you know, books like that, mm-hmm. that that are, you know, pretty strictly focused on history, I think, can be helpful. Um, what I do find a little uh, dangerous if you don't have some real spiritual maturity and discernment is some of the books that approach these topics from a, a very social perspective because they may identify the problem really, really well. But if their worldview is not rooted in the kingdom, oftentimes then their solutions or their responses are going to lead us uh, away from the kingdom and, and not uh, responses that are kingdom-rooted. And I think we have to remember that our weapons are not the weapons of the world, but are, are firmly placed in, in the kingdom. And so even, um, you know, I, I appreciate Scott mentioning my books. You can't, can't argue with that. Um, <laughs> but, I, you know, I do think there are books on the topic um, where I would say, you know, maybe don't so much go to those secular books, but even, even books outside of our family of churches, but books like White Awake or The Trouble I've Seen or Rediscipling the White Church that are at least written from a, a spiritual perspective and I think much more helpful than some of the uh, secular books. That is fantastic advice from both of you guys. Um, now, on the flip side, what, what are some of the unhelpful ways that black disciples can engage with their white brothers and sisters on this topic? Yes, um, Justin, thanks for asking that. Um, you know, um, there's two sides to the coin. Uh, you know, in, uh, in a situation with race relations, um, we're all play a role in it. And it's important that we we think about it that way, right? For the kingdom uh, to win, for God to win, uh, we have to take responsibility uh, in that. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm glad you asked this question. I think uh, the first thing uh, that comes to my mind is uh, it's very unhelpful if you know, if people of color or black people are unleavened uh, in the kingdom with, with uh, respect to a white brother. Uh, and what I mean by that, if you are judgmental, insuspicious, uh, not giving uh, your brother and your sister benefits of the doubt, and uh, you, you know, allowing, you know, what may have happened in the past, maybe hurts or even present hurts. Uh, to, you know, uh, to uh, overshadow, um, you know, what you've devoted to spiritually, uh, which is to love and to trust and to, um, and to honor and to respect. Uh, so that's the first thing is having an unloving disposition. Uh, the, the second thing is gossip and slander. Not only do you feel bad or feel negative, uh, against your brother or sister, you want to talk about it among people just like you, uh, which is a sin. And it needs to be repented of um, because God calls us to not do that in Scripture. And so not to speak ill of your brother, um, not to slander your brother or sister. Um, I think... Uh, number number three is recognizing that um, that white disciples or you know other disciples are your family. Like we are, 
like we we're, we're family <laughs> you know we uh we're no longer aliens and strangers but members of God's household members of his family so we are brothers and sisters and i think we casually throw uh those words around hey yeah hey, bro hey sis but you know god means serious about his family and so just to know that we're family and that while you know a brother or sister may be passive or ignorant doesn't mean that they have participated in prejudice and or racism or, or being racist. And so, but giving them the benefit of doubt, making sure that we spend our energy not in, you know, um, um, you know, trying to prove a point um, more than, you know, helping our white brothers and sisters to become, you know, active allies. You know, and, and um, you know, and so in remembering who the real enemy is, not flesh and blood. And so making sure we fight the right battle. So I wanted to share those things. Fantastic. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate uh, Scott's answer. And I'll, I'll just add briefly, I think one of the, one of the attitudes that I see uh, particularly out in the world, but I, I do occasionally see it seeping into the, the mouths and thought process of disciples is, um, you know, just a, an impatience that's expressed in the idea of it's not my responsibility to teach white people or to help white people. Like, I ain't doing it. Mm-hmm. I, I, I've had enough. I'm tired. And I get all that. And it's legitimate. But I think that's a secular response. Uh, the response of the cross is sacrificial. It calls us to be willing to continue to lay our lives down for others. And if people want to learn, even if they didn't want to learn for a hundred years, if they want to learn now, okay, let me, you know, love covers over a multitude of sins. Let me love you where you're at. Um, that's one. I, I think another is, is just reminding people that uh, vengeance is God's realm. Uh, and so we've got to really avoid that in our hearts and, and realize that, you know, Jesus calls us to turn the other cheek in situations where we're slapped in the face. And that's monumentally unfair. But so is the cross. There's never been anything more unfair than the cross. But that's what Jesus said it was going to look like to follow him. And so uh, I think responses that are not rooted in that embracing that unfairness of the way of the cross can be unhelpful. And, and finally, I would just say this, and I've seen this a lot is when you do see white folks trying to be allies, trying to advocate, Mm. trying to help, it, it can be really easy to pound on them or nitpick little mistakes or, you know, where you been, how come you helped us before this, um, and, and again, I get the frustration. I get the, the tendency to want to do that. But it, it's really not helpful when a white person is trying to make an effort. Maybe they got a long way to go and probably do. But when they try to, you know, dip that toe in the water and it, it gets bit off, um, that's not going to encourage that person to keep on that journey. Um, so just a a lot more patience and love and empathy uh, 
from those who have been hurt, and a lot more than they were probably shown, I think is what's needed in these situations. Excellent. Uh, Justin, if I can add one more thing to that. Mike, you're you're absolutely right. I I appreciate. um, But with grace, you know, you're talking about uh, empathy and and, uh, and love and, and, and just being gracious. Uh, there, there's a brother, excellent brother, you know, a white brother who's, who, who got up and he spoke uh, about these issues and he was, he was, and I'm sure he didn't say everything right. I know the brother, incredible brother, but I'm sure he didn't say everything right. Um, but uh, he was made to feel like, he, you know, that he would never speak on it again. He's like, I don't know what to say. And so I was like, bro, listen, I get pounded when I say things and I'm a black guy. So don't stop speaking, right? Don't stop speaking. Keep speaking. But I just, I do want to encourage and, and, and say what, you know, echo what Mike has just said. You know, when someone goes out of their way and tries to reach out, please take the time to affirm them and thank them. Because the more you affirm, the more you think, the more confidence they will have each time. And that's how we that's how we get to a place of true reconciliation. Like it's taken centuries to get where we are. And so this is a marathon. This is not a sprint. And so we're gonna need, you know, one step after the other, after the other, of encouragement and empathy and affirm affirmation. So I just wanted to say that. So we have 700 or over 700 churches in the ICOC in 150 countries. And so we've got minority groups in our churches worldwide. What would you guys say is, is, you know, the most helpful thing for minorities to be able to make sure that their voice is heard and that they are valued and that their cultural sensitivities are valued inside the churches they're a part of? Yeah, this is this is an excellent question, um, and I'm glad you asked it. Um, I think uh, to uh, for for brothers and sisters to engage with their leaders and, and talk to their leaders about can we educate or can we have discussions with you with the leaders? I think you have to start with leaders leadership uh, about our culture or our culture, or our race, or our upbringing, or who we are. Can we just sit down and reason together? Can we have some conversation? And uh, and have those times of, of telling these untold stories. Because people who have been born again, people who are disciples, their heart should be soft enough, you know, to listen to, you know, uh, people's hurts and, and successes. But the uh, you know, have those times uh, to ask for, for leaders and, and church members um, to ask questions uh, and to love like Jesus. Um, those are those are the things that I think that will help. Uh, you know, cultivate a, a, an environment uh, of you know um, conversation. Uh, you got to have those courageous conversations about different races and cultures. Yeah, that's a it, it's such a great question, Justin. And I, I'm going to punt on that one. You know, I'm, I'm going to pass on that. Sorry, I, I almost used an Americanism there. 
Um, I'm going to pass on that one just a little bit um, by saying that it, it's it's such a, a great question, such in-depth uh, answer that I've actually written two entire books trying to answer that question that you just asked. Um, and, and one would be called uh, All Things to All People, The Power of Cultural Humility. And then another one is A Crown That Will Last, a 49-day devotional uh, towards cultural humility. And you can get those both at IPI Books, um, either paper copies or digital copies. Uh, but really getting into the depth of that answer of what people can do to uh, have a voice, to be included, to include others, uh, which is really important to be who we are to be in the kingdom. And, and I'll just say this, it's going to take a lot of work. And that's the thing that, that we have to know um, yeah. is it's not going to be easy, but this is what God called us to be. Well, guys, this brings us to the end of the podcast. I, I really appreciate your guys' time, and I so much appreciate the thoughts you shared today. I, I know they were super helpful to me, and I'm sure that they'll be extremely helpful to many of our listeners. Uh, Mike and Scott, uh, really appreciate and love you guys. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for Thank having us. Yes, absolutely.